I was wondering what is the craziest storm you've ever been through? Um, well, probably uh, November 2019 when the tornado ripped through me and TC's neighborhood. Uh, that oh, yeah. fateful Sunday evening during a Cowboys game. Um, that was pretty crazy. Uh, like, I, I've been close to a tornado before when I was a little kid when we lived in Stephenville. Because one came through like our subdivision and messed up a couple houses like down the street. But it wasn't like a big one. Like this one was was pretty substantial compared to my previous experience. So that was pretty nuts. And uh, just going through it where our, we're, we're all huddled in the hallway, you know, the, the best place you can find to protect yourself from a tornado where no, you know, exterior walls or glass or anything around you. And like the, the moment that you feel the dramatic pressure change is like nothing else. Like, you know what your ears feel like, like when you, they pop as you're like, going up in a plane or when you're descending in a plane as the pressure changes from high altitude to low altitude as you drop. But this is like that times a thousand. Like it's like on steroids because your ears are popping like like a machine gun, like like in the in these like fast succession because the pressure is changing so rapidly around you. And like uh, you could f- we're like leaning up against the walls in the in the closet and these are interior walls of the house and you can kind of feel the house like swell you feel <laughs> like the uh, every like kind of like all of a sudden you're in a balloon and you can kind of feel it like wanting to like oh the pressure outside is so different now than the pressure is inside the house that like the uh, you're actually having like a change happen in the actual physical shape of the building very Um, reassuring i'm sure (laughs) right um and you know it actually when everyone says it sounds like a freight train it does sound like a freight train um but yeah that was probably the craziest one i've been through like just living in texas your whole life uh you go through a lot of crazy storms um a lot of just amazing uh even just like lightning shows and stuff like that from a distance i remember at six flags one time when um i was in junior high they like shut it down because a huge thunderstorm rolled through and it was an incredible electrical thunderstorm like sheet lightning all over the place um and so everyone had to you know go to these very these um areas in the park where they said it was safe from lightning like they had these kind of big pavilion structures that you could go under because they didn't want you being like under the trees or under any of the rides or anything like that yeah but we all had to just stay there for the duration of the storm because they wouldn't let anyone like leave to go to their parking lot because it was also hailing yeah yeah um but yeah that was an incredibly powerful thunderstorm and i just i still remember the crazy lightning show that was associated with that one what about you uh well that is one thing that I'm so glad we do not have crazy storms out here. <laughs> I'm glad to no longer have to deal with that. Um, you you can get you can get a pretty good lightning storm from uh, wildfire though. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, we just haven't dealt with too many fires. We only had like the one that was close enough last year that we had to evacuate. We didn't have to, but we were 
on the edge of like they were like prepared to vac- evacuate right as your like and, eyes <laughs> as your eyes were so filled with smoke they were all just <laughs> right, constantly yeah. red and burning you don't got to evacuate it's probably going to be fine i mean you're already wearing yeah. masks <laughs> uh and so um i i was this wasn't the craziest storm but i did go to like a baseball game one time when it started hailing mm-hmm. uh pretty crazy at the old rangers ballpark and uh as we we're like waiting in the the thing like the whatever Oh, what are those called? I don't know. Whatever Concourse. the walkway is. Yeah, there we go. Um, we're just seeing like the valet people that have to have like bike helmets <laughs> and go <laughs> run out to the cars. And I was like, man, you shouldn't be making these kids do this. Um, but the craziest one, I don't have the best memory of it because it happened when I was like six or seven. Uh, but we were at SeaWorld in San Antonio when a tornado ripped through. Mm. And... It was, I mean, lucky for us, probably. Uh, it was not like a touchdown tornado. It was like, you know, kind of the bouncing yeah. kind. And the closest enclosure that we could go to uh, was like the penguin exhibit. <laughs> and so I'm just staring at these penguins that are like, why is everybody all of a sudden interested in penguins? Well, we've got this giant sheet of glass right in front of us, like... <laughs> Man, if if things go sideways here, it is done for everyone. Um, and the tornado did actually hit on top of the building that we were in, and the building or the roof caved in right as a guy was walking by, and like a beam came down and hit him in the head. Oh wow! Like right in front of me, uh, and the the like um, emergency exit doors because of the pressure change were like ripped open. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that, I mean, I hadn't really considered it, especially at the time, but if that tornado had touched down probably three more feet, you know, to the left, then it would have shattered that glass. Yeah. Gone through <laughs> the building instead of on the top. Yeah. Um, so that was probably the, the most insane one. And this was back in the nineties. So, as we're like exiting and walking over all the broken Shamu, you know, like how they had the the stained glass mosaic <laughs> just all over the ground, uh, they offered us a free ticket to come back the next day. It yeah. wasn't whenever you want. It was, you can come back tomorrow. <laughs> Naturally. What's <laughs> never ending to find the beginning that came before everything? Like kids with the code. time i was at a ranger game when it had we had a huge hailstorm it was early in the season it was like a game in april against the red sox and the temperature dropped 
they would. It was actually hailing so bad they wouldn't let people leave the ballpark. Um, they just told everyone to stay in the concourse, and it looked like it had snowed. It was hailing to the point where they couldn't get the the tarp out on the field, but the entire outfield grass, which you know usually green, is now like covered with two inches of hail. So it looked like it was just covered with snow, like a sheet of That's snow. Wild. Um, out there which was really weird um but yeah they did the same thing you know they canceled the game and they offered us uh you know tickets for, for any other game in the season so i just went the next day for the double header <laughs> <laughs> well you had to see how they cleaned up the hail right 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 i mean i wanted to see the outcome of the game that i had come to see so i had to go the next day to watch it <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who they were playing? It was the Red Sox. It, it, and um, the next day, because it was following a cold front coming through, it was like one of the coldest games that I'd ever been to. Was, I remember it was like close to freezing during the day. It was all cloudy and drizzly the whole time. It was it was miserable out there. <laughs> it's uh, baseball playing weather, right? Yeah, perfect perfect uh, weather to play baseball. Your hands will feel great every time you hit hit the ball with the bat. Yeah, that's <clears throat> for some reason in football. That's always a uh, cold, drizzly. If it, if you got a light snow coming down, that's football playing weather. But then, uh, whenever it's in Texas, whenever it gets to over a hundred, that's also for some reason football playing weather. Right, it's all football. <laughs> football is played in all weather except the lightning. In Texas, because after enough kids got killed, we finally decided maybe in high school football in Texas, we should, if we hear thunder, we're going to call off practice or call the game. <laughs> do you, do you know when that happened? The lightning strikes? I mean, I know yeah, one cause... happened when I was in high school. I really? I think it was, was it Marcus High School in Louisville? I can't remember which one it was. Where some kids got hit. But it was like a conductive uh, type of strike. Like oh. They didn't it hit nearby and the people who were standing on the field all got it up through their feet. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's definitely, I. you know, as a kid, you don't know too much about lightning. I didn't know too much about lightning until yesterday. <laughs> and so you're like, well, we got these goal posts surely that's where the lightning will strike <laughs> little do you know it will it will hit you as well <laughs> or or you might think yeah of course it'll go right for that tall light tower it's not going to hit me and then it just yeah. like bypasses the light tower by three inches and goes straight to the ground <laughs> 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 uh, man reading up on this um lightning sounds scary a lot scarier than i had imagined yeah it's it's kind of uh it's almost alarming that more people don't die from it as much as it happens but then i guess the when you when you read about like uh the incidences of lightning strikes it's not like evenly distributed all over the planet like it's very isolated in some areas and some areas like absolutely never even see lightning just because of the atmospheric conditions so it's not like every single place gets the same distribution of lightning strikes and those aren't necessarily overpopulated areas but with the amount of like population in like the plains of america and like above the 60th degree latitude in like norway and sweden and the the big lightning channel in florida because of all the tropical uh, masses that hit each other from east and west there 
like you'd think that there would be a whole lot more people dying from lightning than than you hear about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I shared that video with you yesterday too of those two people sitting like on their porch and the lightning. I guess it wasn't technically lightning, but the the streamer mm-hmm. like that struck near them. That I mean, just the amount of people that, especially my grandparents' age that whenever there's a storm, they're just like, oh, it's just so nice to sit out on the porch and watch it. And you're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, you love that smell. You know, that it's that, it's that impossible to like, uh, package and reproduce smell. I think people try to do it in like, uh, essential oils and stuff like that. Whatever that back certain bacteria is that starts to, yeah. uh, degrade whenever the beginning of an electrical thunderstorm that gives you that, smell of a summer rain storm about to happen in Texas type of thing. Um, I, I, I get it's very intoxicating. Like if I could find that as like a cologne, I'd wear it all the time. But I don't know if you can just <laughs> find that, <laughs> find a thing that's just constantly decomposing those bacteria <laughs> to rub all over your body. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we should get into is uh, instead of real estate in the metaverse, just essential oils there. Yeah, yeah. Because... Uh, uh, hygiene, sense, uh, you know, homeopathic medicine is going to be real big in the metaverse. I, I bet it will be. <laughs> <laughs> My avatar is so sick. <laughs> just take Man, these, have you, just take these lavender drops in your water and he will be better. <laughs> we cut it by one million, one millionth, and then we cut that by one billionth. Yeah. And now you have water for days that is as strong um have you ever seen videos this is like obviously taking us on a detour of people playing like second life no is it like uh, sims? you know what it is right is it like sims no well i mean it looks like sims it's like a um it's just an avatar kind of thing where you okay. it's it's like an open world um it's essentially like a chat room that you can do anything in, like like KJ, how he he used to do the role playing wrestling chat room. Okay, yeah, okay. It's one of the funniest stories I'd ever heard. <laughs> um, uh, it's like that, except you would have like a wrestler or whatever. Like you can, there's like dragons or whatever. But anyways, it's it's uh, kind of creepy um, from my perspective. Maybe some people are really into it. I had a professor in college that was really into it. They would give us extra credit if we all made a Second Life character and like became her friend. And I don't think any of us did it. We're like, you know what? We'll uh, just take what we can get at the tests. That's like, I mean, that's basically like, and you know, um, I'm really trying to get yard of the month for my HOA. So yeah. if you guys could all come over and help me do a little gardening and then like, you know, maybe just when uh, the people come to do the judging, just stop by and say, wow, the yard looks really beautiful. I- I'd love that. I'd give you some extra credit. <laughs> I mean, she she was also the professor uh, that made me start a Twitter account because she would we would have discussions in class and she required us to because she was like, everyone's going to start using Twitter um, to communicate. This was in 2000. 10 maybe so i mean twitter had been established yeah it'd already been around like three years yeah i just didn't have one or two years and she made us um she would like put it up 
her screen on like the projector so that we would have a real time like like tweets coming in about whatever we were discussing i don't know very odd but anyways the maybe that was maybe that was the point when twitter was you could actually like because that was smartphone twitter so you could actually like tweet from your phone it wasn't pre-smartphone twitter where you had to text to tweet yeah yeah it was it was uh it was not text to tweet (laughs) she was not running up our (laughs) phone bill (laughs) every tweet i want to send is going to cost me 99 cents but i gotta get these (laughs) tweets off and at only 140 characters, and they also yeah. included the hashtag yeah, for that yeah, number yeah. at that time. Or any link I wanted to share. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Dude, man, I texted to tweet so many things back in the day about like shows and stuff like that. And that was when I still had my Nextel flip phone that was like the walkie-talkie phone. Oh. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to like text a URL so that uh, into Twitter so that people could then click on that so they could see the flyer for the show that you're going to have and man trying trying to text on on a nine pad a URL for a website that you want to post on Twitter was the stupidest thing I think I don't I don't it seems <laughs> like I did it for like two years too I it, why did it take so long <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, the like texting links and stuff sucked because you you back then especially you had to include like the HTTP. Yeah, the whole thing, the whole URL. <laughs> like whenever it got shortened to just www, I was like genius. <laughs> they finally <laughs> cracked it, <laughs> but <laughs> they got rid of these seven useless characters at the front. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my, my second life thing was just going to be that everybody's mean on there because Mm -hmm. they're, they're used to people trolling. So that's the future that we have. Like, uh, it's just people who are at home who have built up this life online. So we can become, uh, lucrative in the essential oils game. Yeah. And then just be mean to everyone. (laughs) Isn't that the life you want? Well, my second life. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I would like my second life to always be the opposite of my first. Like, uh, you know, in video games, a lot of video games you can play where, you know, they have like honor metrics. So you can like do good deeds in the game and like your honor will lean towards being a good good person. Or you can do bad deeds in the game and your honor will trend towards being a bad person. And that mm-hmm. causes different outcomes in the game, you know, so different play experiences. But typically... Like the first playthrough, I'll always be kind of like myself. Like, oh yeah, I'm I'm doing the good deeds. I'm the honorable, whatever the the decisions I would actually make in real life. But then on second playthrough, I'm I'm like opposite guy. Anything that I would do, I'm doing the opposite <laughs> of, and I'm going the the worst evil score that I can get to just have the total opposite playthrough experience. And it's <laughs> it's honestly kind of more fun sometimes to just do do all the evil deeds and play the game I badly. Mean, whenever and see where we're getting into the video games like you announced uh was your podcasting role on Blowout. Yeah. Um whenever I played Fallout, Fallout 4, I had to assume, like, if you came upon a house, like, uh, nobody's in here. I'm just going to take the stuff. I need to like, loot why it. Why would I? I need these supplies. 
why would I leave it here? Like this person is probably a mutant, you know? Uh-huh. Um, is that, was that the honorable choice? It, well, it depends. Like in Red Dead Redemption, like if it's uh, certain places you can loot and it's honorable and good. Um, or certain people like you help out on the road, um, they'll then give you the stuff that's in their like saddlebag or in their wagon as for you doing the good deed. Or you could just murder them and take their stuff and then it's right. bad. So th- there's always differences. And like uh, like if you kill someone who was like uh, doing a robbery um, and you save someone's life, you can loot that robber and it won't count as bad against your honor score. But if you loot like just a dead townsperson that you come upon that you didn't like save or you didn't have a part in doing a good deed for, if you loot that person, it's negative against your honor score. So you huh. got to be real careful, especially if you're trying to like do a playthrough of the game where you only do honorable stuff. It's really hard because like if you accidentally bump into a townsperson like with your horse <laughs> they'll try to fight you and if you fight if you have a fist fight with them but like hit them too hard and kill them instead of just knocking them out then that's against your honor score so if you were trying to do the full playthrough <laughs> you can easily get get derailed and have to start over if you wanted to do 100% honorable you got to park your horse in the the very first spot that's yeah. right next to the exit. Just leave him outside of town out. just in, just in <laughs> case just in case he runs into somebody. This is this is video game um logic I assume, but if you were to say help somebody and they give you something or kill somebody and you take their stuff, is it the same stuff or is it in, in Red Dead Redemption it is. Okay. Because that's that was always the thing that I was like, well, I wouldn't want to just kill them because they might just give me nothing. Oh you know? no, no, whatever's in there, whatever's in there, like if it's a if it's a stagecoach that has like uh, gold bars in it, and you stop that stagecoach from getting robbed, the like stagecoach driver will give you the gold bars, or you could mm. just kill everybody and then take whatever's in the stagecoach and it'll be the gold bars. Huh. Well, if nobody sees you, is it really a mark against your honor? That's the thing is like uh, witnesses, you know, can see you from far away, see like something (laughs) happened and then the telegraph has just been invented in the game. And so, so uh, the law can get alerted, not super fast, like uh, Grand Theft Auto or something where the cops are immediately on you, but they get there relatively quick and then they have like bloodhounds. So like if they'll smell you out, like if you got shot in the encounter, but you didn't die, like the bloodhounds will be able to trace you like all across the map and you'll have to be chasing off these bloodhounds and bounty hunters the whole the whole game until like you either pay your bounty or they kill you. Do you have to fauci these dogs? You you do. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they'll kill you. Like the the dogs will go after you and they'll harm your horse too. So if uh, if oh, you've done bad horse. deeds and the dogs are coming after you and then you get a bad honor score for animal cruelty. Okay. Well, uh, I guess I just won't play it. <laughs> it's a great game though. You should play it. It's fun. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> is there lightning in the game? There's there? there is an actual quite a bit of lightning in the game, both from thunderstorms and then there's also lightning that happens in the sandstorms in the desert. 
which is true. You can get uh, lightning from those types of uh, atmospheric disturbances. You just get enough types of particulate up in the air. doesn't have to just necessarily be ice. It can be volcanic ash. It can be lots of different things. It can be smoke from a wildfire. You get enough upward draft. You can cause polarity in that cloud, and you can create lightning. Yeah, that was the one thing that was... As we're talking about, it's like, it's obvious once you hear about it, but I had no, like, natural ability to come up with how lightning is formed. Yeah, same with me. Like, my whole life I've found lightning super fascinating. It's one of those I have never done, like, a deep dive on. So, uh, you know, ever since you're a kid, you always heard, like... Well, you know, we, we've done a lot of playing with lightning in the laboratory, but no one knows why it exists and no one knows what's, what's the cause of it and stuff like that. So you're like, oh, maybe it's always been this mystery. I mean, technically not that big of a mystery because we know a lot of the functionality of how it occurs um, and the elements involved down to like the extremely microscopic level of how it occurs. But I guess the conjecture in the scientific community of being able to say we know with certainty about this thing is that it's still not like predictable and it's not you you we can't like we haven't created a device yet where we can all tell lightning to strike this device type yeah. of thing like and you might say, oh, well, we have lightning rods. You know, didn't, didn't Ben Franklin put lightning rods on all the buildings in Pennsylvania to prevent lightning damage? And yeah, we'll talk about lightning rods and how they can like help lightning find the path of least resistance to the ground. But technically, they don't attract lightning. They don't cause lightning and they don't tell lightning where to strike. It's just more of giving lightning an easier path to find a place to neutralize its charge. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like they they fully understand all of the mechanics. They just haven't seen it. It's like there's one, I don't know, Roman Catholic still holding on to the idea that it's a Zeus and God <laughs> causing it to. <laughs> I'm not sure the Roman Catholics are into Zeus, but, you know, I'm, it's just the right region. <laughs> okay, well, I'm neither, so that's... <laughs> Got my wires crossed. Um, but the it is very interesting that it's like the in the cloud, um, the physical cloud, not another metaverse reference. It is just the like water vapor that is then getting sucked up, that is then turning into ice. And while it's getting sucked up, you have larger like clumps of hail that are coming down and they're just ramming into each other. And through that friction between them hitting each other, the tiny ice particles are taking one of the charges and the hail kind of part is taking another charge. Mm -hmm. And it depends on the temperature of the cloud that at like just slightly below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, the hail part gains like a positive charge. So then there's like the positive uh, ends up at the bottom of the cloud and the negatives at the top. And then if it's colder than that, then it's reversed where the, the hail kind of takes the negative charge and the positive goes to the top. And usually just it's that, colder. Usually it's colder than that. 
Right, yeah. The the most and, common occurrence is that the positive goes to the top and the negative goes to the bottom. But right. the, it can occur the other way in cer- certain temperatures. It's just so weird that it's, I mean, that's it. <laughs> it's just stuff moving in the cloud. So the negative charges kind of build up or the positive charges build up at the top and the negative build up at the bottom. And then at that point, you have so much negative at the bottom of a cloud that the all the positives on the surface start to get more attracted to it just magnetically. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, they call it like a step ladder, I think, in some of the like research and stuff, because it just the positives kind of start to build up as the negatives build down. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, the the uh, the real interesting part of this to me was like if you understand lightning then you understand kind of weather and storms. It's not the other way around. Like you have to figure out how uh, the, the, the water cycle works and clouds form and all that. And only then can you understand lightning. It's kind of the other way around. Like if you figure out the reactions that are happening in lightning, then you have also explained why cumulus nimbus clouds form and why thunderheads form and why these giant anvil head clouds form before thunderstorms and then you also explained like the up and down draft dynamics in the atmosphere that also form tornadoes and like all these other things so uh sort of lightning is kind of the uh the the skeleton key to understanding a lot of other things about weather but the sort of the general takeaway that i had was that weather on the planet earth is a neutralizing event so like the planet like we've talked about all going back to like electromagnetism and we've talked about the core of the planet and that we we have this magnetosphere and that there's positive and negative charges and all that type of stuff the planet wants to have like a neutrality when it comes to these types of charges all around like the surface and the edges of the atmosphere of the planet. It's not always neutral though, because we have these dynamics in our atmosphere. We have the temperature changes, we have um, wind, we have pressure changes, we have different particles in the atmosphere, whether it's dust or uh, different chemical compounds in the atmosphere, um, ice and things like that. So that causes a differential in the positive and negative charges between the surface and the atmosphere layer. And because the natural state of these things is to neutralize each other, the positive and the negatives want to be attracted to each other and neutralize that charge. All weather on the entire planet is just the attempt of the planet to reach this sort of equilibrium, this this stasis of neutrality. So all we're ever experiencing is just trying to balance out those positive and negative charges between these magnetic forces. And that's just as simple as it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like one of the most basic fundamental forces is just trying to uh, reach itself again, mm-hmm. which is like sort of makes it more intuitive i guess to understand how other planets also have weather yeah without with you know being colder or warmer or whatever it's just it's just every atom has these charges within it and if you start getting any sort of friction 
So you have any sort of atmosphere, you're going to, it's going to be like almost a cascading event where it, it continues to build up and then it kind of uh, discharges itself and then it builds up in another place because that was enough force to cause other stuff to move. So it's kind of cool. It's like a, uh, like, I don't quite understand what they mean in the expanse whenever they, the belters say like they spun something up. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine it's like literally spinning something so that it forms some sort of gravity artificially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's kind of how I picture weather now is it's like, it almost just kind of starts rotating and causing itself to move. And then it's almost perpetual because it's just these charges. Yep. And like what you were talking about when the charges get separated in the cloud and like a typical uh, thunderstorm where the smaller ice particles as they rise up through the updrafts of the warmer air, um, those collide with the heavier uh, sort of slushy particles that are falling down. The, the ones going up get the positive charge. The ones going down get the negative charge. So then you get all this um, coalescing at the bottom of the cloud of all these negative charges. The, the interesting thing here is that you got to think about this like in magnets. So if you think of the, of the cloud as like a bar magnet, right? And you're facing the negatively charged side of the magnet down towards the surface of the earth. And you think of the earth as a magnet as well. What happens is if you have, if you're facing two negative sides of a magnet towards each other, they repel each other. You know, you feel that force pushing them apart from each other when you try to squeeze them together. All of the negatively charged particles in the earth's crust get smushed down into the planet, get smushed down deeper into the earth's crust because the negative charge of the surface of the cloud working just like a magnet against the negatively charged particles of the earth is repelling those things. So they actually squeeze down into the planet. And then the only thing that's left closer to the surface is the positive charged particles. So then those positive charged particles are like, oh, wow. Check it out, guys. It's just us up here. (laughs) (laughs) We got nothing else that's neutralizing us. And you know what? Uh, What if, uh, what if uh, some of you guys came over here and some of you guys over here and we all started lining up? We could really, we could reach the sky, guys. We got nothing holding (laughs) us to the ground. If we just start stacking each other up, we're going to fucking reach the clouds. (laughs) And so they do. They start like stacking themselves on top of each other. Like, hell yeah, nothing holding us back. We're going for it. At the same time, you have the, all the negatively charged particles in the cloud that are starting their way down looking for a place to neutralize themselves on the ground surface. And they're attracted to the ground because the ground is positive. But they don't know what spot on the ground they're attracted to because they don't have eyes. They don't have like a, a, a radar that tells them, oh, there's the hot spot for, for positively charged um, particles. So I'm going to find that spot. So when you see the lightning come down, you see it like fracture into all these little uh, spider web sort of vein looking things as they're trying to find the path of least resistance through these ion channels down to the ground so they can make that connection with the positive particles that are stacking themselves up trying to reach the sky. And um, so the ones, the negatively charged guys all group together. Once they find a good channel, they're like, all right, guys, we found a channel that's 
closest to getting us to the ground. And then they all just funnel down that thing at a third the speed of light. Just funnel down that thing straight towards the towards the positive guys that are stacking up. And then they eventually make a handshake. <laughs> and then you get the giant release of energy as finally the cloud is able to neutralize itself with the ground. And after that, you get the recoil, and the recoil is the flash you see, and then you hear the atmosphere actually rip apart. <laughs> and that's thunder. And there, there you go. <laughs> the, the thing that's, like, to imagine, though, when you're saying that the thundercloud is a strong enough uh, charge to push the negatives down into the crust of the Earth... You're thinking like, I've seen a cloud, it's very wispy. So, you know, how does it have that much energy? (laughs) But the average thundercloud has enough electricity in it to power Denver for 10 hours. Yeah. So, So it's got enough energy. And obviously you can see it when it discharges with lightning. Um... And, you know, one lightning strike is not discharging the entire cloud. Uh, And as you say, strong enough to rip apart the atmosphere. Um, That was also, I didn't understand what thunder was. I thought thunder was the atmosphere coming back together from like, um, like a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, like the the air returning to that that tube after the plasma burns out in that sort of vacuum of space. Uh, it's it's amazing that no, it's because the lightning bolt heats up the surrounding air to fifty thousand degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> which just massively expands it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just an explosion. It, it, yeah, so that's it's what actually is. ripping apart the atoms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In that the too, air, of course. You are hearing like actual explosions. It's not. This is not like a vacuum suction thing. This is not a friction thing. This is a. Uh, this is you're hearing actual molecules be separated from from their base parts. Yeah, it is um, heating things up to five times the surface of the sun. Also, sounds like it shouldn't exist on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna become a luddite with all these fusion energy plants. Uh, I mean, we 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 talked about how hot things got after Tunguska and how hot stuff was in that flash after the dinosaurs. But yeah, like lightning is right up there with it, even though it only lasts like a mi- a couple microseconds or whatever in the in that superheated phase. Although it doesn't take, it's like the time duration does necessarily doesn't really matter, especially if you're something getting struck by lightning at that at <laughs> no. that level of heat like it doesn't matter if it's <laughs> if it's only a millisecond or something it's uh it's it's enough to uh to do quite a bit of damage yeah it's you know um it's it's pretty pretty incredible um and the way that i think the strikes come down is uh pretty nuts but i also talking about like people getting struck i couldn't find a solid answer like noaa like the national you know weather mm-hmm. kind of whatever um they said that like the average between 2008 and 2019 i think was 27 people per year uh being killed by lightning and they estimated it was like 270 per year that get struck but other 
you know, articles and stuff, which I guess are maybe less accurate than the weather people Mm -hmm. put it between like 40 to 50. Um, But suffice it to say, uh, it sounds like there's almost nowhere to hide (laughs) whenever lightning is raining down. Yeah. And I wonder like how, you know, how many people have instances of sort of like conductive lightning strikes where lightning strikes near their house it travels through the ground laterally, attaches to like the pipes or the wires in their house and they get, you know, it doesn't like burn them or harm them, but they happen to be holding a electrical device when it happened inside of their house and it just like shocks them sort of like if you touch a screwdriver to the, to an active side of the, uh, of like a wall outlet when you're changing a fixture or something and you forgot to turn the power off. Like do those people report they got struck by lightning or do they even just report anything? They're just like, ah, that, ah, that made my arm sting for a minute, you know, type yeah, of thing. I, I'm not a fan of, uh, of being shocked. So I don't know. I probably would just assume it was me not being too careful. Um, do you know what you're supposed to do if you see somebody being like electrocuted? Uh, heart compressions. Well, like if they're like stuck being electrocuted. Oh, if they're like, if they're holding on to an electrical wire and they can't get off of it. Yeah. No. Just kick them over as hard as you can. Like you're not supposed to grab them. Yeah, you don't grab them because then you'll, you'll connect the circuit to yourself. Yeah. You just kick the crap out of them and then. Hope they fall over. Yeah, we all remember that from uh, high school science, where we all had to hold hands, and uh, the 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 science teacher like plugged one person into like a hundred a hundred volts, and you felt it go all the way through through the whole classroom. Uh, I I think schooling changed after the nineties. Had some updates. Well, we we all like uh, we all had to. sit on our desks and then hold hands. Okay. And then one person like stood and the one person who was standing would feel the shock. But if uh-huh. you, if no one was grounding themselves, then it wouldn't happen. You were, you know, you're just fun, fun learning about electricity in, in science class. I did do the, uh, I did have like the shock pin for a bit. Um, and then in my, one of my computer classes, I just put it in the jar of like other pins that the teacher had. Um, <laughs> she grabbed it one time and then threw it across the room and it broke. So I was sad. <laughs> oh, such a prankster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, never admitted to it though. So, like a good prankster. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, so, the obviously, you know, like being struck directly by lightning is not good. Right. Um, but I didn't understand, you know, they say don't stand under a tree um, if you're, you know, doing some highfalutin activity like golfing. Yeah, don't don't seek tree for refuge from rain. Uh, yes, that catchy phrase. Um, because the lightning, I didn't know that this is how it happened. I thought it was just like, because the tree will explode and it'll be bad news. But the lightning can jump, like hit the top of the tree and jump out the side of it and then go through you entirely. Yep. It's finding Um, its path of least resistance. That's like, 
And that's the thing that I kept coming back to in all the different sort of papers I was reading on people who had studied it is that these ion channels is not necessarily about, oh, wow, this thing is really tall, so I'm attracted to it. Or, oh, wow, this this uh, guy has like uh, some kind of certain charge of particles in his body, so I'm more attracted to hitting him than the guy next to him or whatever. It's, it's nothing to do with that. It's like the path of least resistance to neutralize itself. And so if it just so happens that like that... Um, that happens to be through your body <laughs> that that's just what it is. And it can jump like, like you're saying it can hit the top of a tree, travel most of the way through a tree, then go laterally to you who's standing underneath the tree, then go through your body to make its handshake with its ground partner. Um, and <laughs> guess what the least resistant part of your body is. It's either your nervous system or your circulatory system. Exactly. <laughs> And you kind of need both. The most conductive parts of your body. <laughs> yeah. The the least conductive part of your body is your bones. And that's also why, or I guess it's the more resistant part. And that's why you'll have major tissue damage, like muscle damage. Yeah. If you get struck because your bones just like have that coursing through it at... I don't know. I forget how resistance really works, but I imagine hotter. <laughs> um, uh, but I'll I'll save ground current because uh, you have your fun stories. But um, conduction is also another form. That's like you're talking about where lightning comes in contact with like metal wires or plumbing or something. Mm -hmm. And that one is the most indoor lightning casualties. Um, and it can travel pretty far too. Um so don't talk on your corded phone uh, is a suggestion. It's also why you shouldn't like take a bath during a thunderstorm or uh, take yeah, a shower. Yeah. Uh, you know, most probably, you know, your home, your home is like modern and it's using PVC for most of its water delivery pipes and stuff like that. So you don't necessarily have a much of a problem to worry about. But if uh you know you're living in an older place chances are they use copper or cast iron and those things can you know travel the the current can travel along those things just like the electrical wires in your house too um so that's why those are like the common recommendations don't go take a shower inside your house during a lightning storm and stuff like that of course the one of the least safest places to be is like in a swimming pool or <laughs> like outside it's definitely much safer to be in your house than it is to be outside of your house. But if you're in your house, don't be like uh, deciding this is the time to take a bubble bath during a lightning storm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and considering like if you were in a bath and uh, things weren't going so well and you were hovering a hairdryer over it, that amount of shock is only 20 to 60 kilovolts, still uh, enough to kill you. Uh, but lightning is 300 kilovolts. So... <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a little bit more than you bargained for it might be quicker death though it might be quicker uh, you could only hope <laughs> your, um, your heart will just explode and you just <laughs> you won't just be like uh for a while until you go <laughs> yeah i i imagine like a, a hot tub would probably be more sufficient to get that full uh jolt yeah 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 um so don't go swimming in a pool um but surprisingly in the ocean uh, I was reading that if there's lightning 
all of a sudden and you can't get to shore and away from the beach fast enough um, to like get in the water because yeah. then the current will just go around your body. You don't want to be the thing making the connection to the earth. But also lightning strikes on the ocean are one of the rarer places for lightning strikes yeah, yeah. to happen just because the uh, distribution of the charges in the water on the surface of the ocean is such that, um, one, it's kind of, I know there's waves, but it's relatively flat compared to anything on, on Earth. So having like a big differential of positively charged particles in hills and trees and valleys and all the types of things that you have on, on terrestrial ground, uh, one, makes it less likely that you're going to have a neutralizing event come down to the water. But two, also, is that having the different topographic features over terrestrial land cause a lot of the varying atmospheric dynamics for those types of weather events. So to have like these dry dynamic shifts and updrafts and things like that that cause these incredibly charged electrical storms, you kind of need the the topographic nature of the of the ground to help you with that. And the ocean doesn't necessarily give you that. Yeah. Unless you're a big boat. Yeah. If you just like a ton of big boats the size of mountains and they're just floating along the ocean, you could create some topographic features on the ocean. <laughs> Boy, that's that is one hope with all these billionaire yachts, huh? Yeah. Um so then the streamers were the oddest one that you can be struck by lightning that it is it seems to not technically be lightning. It's that the positive ions that are going up can be going up through you and right before a lightning strike happens, it makes a quick connection with that discharge, but then the lightning actually strikes somewhere else. Um, so you can have like, obviously bad stuff happen to you, but it's not the full direct yeah, strike. You're just burned by the positive ions coming up from the surface of the earth. Yeah. So uh, did you find, scary. did you find out why they called those streamers and the ones that come down leaders? Like I uh, looked it, everywhere for the reasoning on that. The, the leaders, I believe, is just because that's the charge, like, it is the leading charge Yeah, the down. leading edge is the negative coming down. That's the more, yeah, like, um, it's it's the more active part of the connection, I believe. Uh, streamers, I yeah, I couldn't really quite figure out. It seems like just because they almost, I, maybe it's because they come up from all different areas mm -hmm. like you technically would call them streamers like all the positive connections that are trying to reach right right that never make a and connection maybe because they like kind of move with the charge so maybe they move like streamers but i'm not quite sure yeah well all the terminology in this is was kind of interesting too because it's like terminology that's been developed over centuries um and like even a lot of the lightning terms are like from ancient ancient Greek and stuff like that. Um, and uh, th then, of course, the uh, like when it came to the stuff like uh, sprites and elves and gnomes and all these other like things that they they intentionally gave these sort of uh, mythical names to to phenomenon surrounding lightning that people didn't understand because I think one, they didn't want to give the 
illusion that it was some understood phenomenon before they understood it. But it's also like acronyms. So like, <laughs> scientists love acronyms. So like Sprite is a really confusing acronym about like the the phenomenon like p stands for phenomenon and then there's like you know two or three words between the the p and the r that don't fit in the acronym so they just don't use it. it's like why 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 why, do, why are we doing this to ourselves <laughs> that goes against my uh my acronym rule you can't have it in the acronym be pronounced differently than the word it's representing. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're getting too loosey goosey with this. Um, so ground current is also the one that that's like, that that's the one that causes the most deaths and injuries uh, because lightning strikes the ground. And if you're just close enough to it, then the current travels through the ground and makes contact with you and goes through your body. Yeah, and this is the one that I remember the football players getting hit with when I was back in high school in the 90s. And you were telling me, so this one kills like the most farm animals too. Yes, and that's the one I was trying to look up. Well, of course, it's going to kill farm animals and livestock because, yeah, they're outside all the time, but... Like, people are also outside quite a bit of the time, and why is the incidence of death in, like, livestock so much higher? But part of it, uh, one, is uh, we're bipedal, so when we're outside, we're standing on two feet. And it means that there's a chance that even if it's a close-to-direct strike or if it's a ground strike and it's coming through us, that the lightning just conducts over the surface of our skin— and we don't actually get it running through our uh, nervous system or through our circulatory system. And even if it does go through our nervous system, or our circulatory system, because of our bipedal nature, there's a chance that it doesn't go right through our heart and blow our heart up and kill us. It can find a way through that system and go out of us without actually killing us. Now with like livestock... Um, I was reading a lot of different incidents of these ground strikes and there's like a big famous one. I think it's in Norway. It might have been Sweden um, of like over 250 reindeer that were all found dead from one of these ground strikes. And it's simply because of their hooves and them all standing close enough together in proximity that the lightning strikes and then comes up through the ground through one reindeer's hoof. And because the way their bodies are situated over the ground where their, you know, organs are like laterally parallel to the ground, the charge comes up through one, either their front legs or their back legs, goes through their circulatory system, through their heart, then back out through their front legs because their front legs are also touching the ground. So you have this better arcing link through their body. And then the the charge goes back through the ground into the hooves of the next reindeer through its system out its front hooves through the ground into the hooves of the next reindeer and just continues this loop until the whole herd is dead. And this has happened to cows in America, to goats, to other livestock um, all over the place. And it's just a, it's pretty interesting phenomenon and one that, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought, Oh, having four points of contact to the ground kind of makes that much of a difference on how the electrical charge travels through your body. But yeah, it, it does make that much of a difference. Yeah. <laughs> we just need to 
genetically modify them to have rubber rubber hooves. Yeah, rubber hooves, maybe. I don't know. Give them all nurse's shoes. <laughs> the thing, too, like with it going through your body that is so damaging, obviously it's a ton of energy, so it could... You know, like it obviously does like pop blood vessels. Yeah. Um, if you ever see like Lichtenberg figures. Yeah, did you see those scars? Yeah, yeah, wow. those are gnarly. It like looks like a lightning bolt um, because your blood, like your capillaries burst and all the uh, blood, like red blood cells go to the surface. Um, some of them can only last for like 24 hours too. Like some of them yeah, are like a bruise kind of short-term or whatever. bruises. Yeah. Um, but... Because it's energy and electricity, uh, the all of your like internal stuff operates on electricity. Mm-hmm. Like your heart is that's why you can have like a pacemaker that all it is is a tiny electrical pulse. That's why, that's we why you know talked about the abortions. electron transport chain. That's all this is. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's why abortions are illegal in Texas because they detect, um, you know, electrical pulses yeah. at six weeks. Which which obviously means it has a soul. Right. So the the electricity in your heart is so vital to it just pumping because it's just its own. It doesn't operate from your brain telling your heart to pump. It has its own internal mechanism that's really weird to learn about. That should actually be an episode. Um, but it just contracts because it has this current that's constantly kind of beating in it. Uh, so obviously if you shoot energy through that electricity, that's just going to like short circuit everything and throw off the, um, electrical, you know, the, the rhythm. And that's kind of how I think most people do die whenever they're struck by lightning is their heart either stops beating or is beating irregularly. Um, and that's why like the, if you ever see someone struck by lightning, uh, you call 911 and then you start, if you can doing CPR or using like an AED. Cause that's like the, 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 what is it? The reason people die from getting struck by lightning most of the time is they aren't able to have as immediate medical attention. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the big factor on whether or not you're going to live through it or not. Yeah, if you can you can't, return the heart to a normal beat or just some type of stability momentarily after the strike, you have a good chance of survival. Yeah, and there's nothing else you can do as the person who's struck. It's not like you <laughs> have like a second to like, well, let me put my other foot on the ground and take my hand off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> like it's uh... <laughs> Hurry, dodge it. right yeah look out (laughs) it's traveling at a third the speed of light (laughs) you Um, only see it after it happened you don't see it happening (laughs) the flash that you see is the after effect of the lightning strike (laughs) yeah because like our brains wouldn't process it fast enough right no yeah going back to just our brains wouldn't process it but even the thing that you see that you think is the lightning strike is the after effect of the lightning strike. Like you don't see the actual strike. You see the big flash. That's the result of the strike. Yeah. Um, so of course also you have seizures, respiratory arrest. The thing that I found interesting though, if it goes through your brain, you have long-term memory loss as like, that seems to be a huge factor. Um, you can have paralysis, 
But the weird one is you can have like mood swings and changes in personality so much that there's like a couple of different instances where these people were struck, it went through their brains, um, and they, both of these people, one of them was a doctor, another one was, uh, actually, no, this this is the same guy. Uh, two different articles I read this in. He was a doctor, and he was struck by lightning when he was 42. Um, he was using, like, a public telephone uh, when he was struck, and the lightning bolt went through his brain uh, and it caused him to have like problems in his medical practice because he lost like memory on what he needed to do but he suddenly had an urge to pick up piano which he had never done before and he started uh, he learned how to play piano and then he's recorded his own piano album and started doing like tours as a piano player (laughs) Um, there was another guy that started seeing like, uh, music notes in his head, even though he had never like studied music and was able to start playing the piano based off of like how his, he he, like suddenly understood music. Um, and the theory behind it is that the electricity jolting through the brain causes a huge amount of cell death wherever it goes through. Uh, but that causes a one-time flooding of neurotransmitters that are suddenly released and help form new connections. They just try to lattice suddenly... everything back together real quick. And so yeah. like random so, random things get tied together that were never connected before. Exactly. Uh, so you crazy. like forget memories, but you can also suddenly form new connections in your brain. Oh, man. Um, yeah, not not highly recommended to attempt, I assume. Maybe that's what they were always trying to do with electroshock therapy. And they just could never get. I it guess that is enough. actually <laughs> that makes they sense. They just needed to turn turn up the the ampermeter up a little bit more, get it to lightning level, and then then they could have really done some <laughs> positive stuff. That's probably actually what they were thinking. Um, that makes way more sense than yeah, just shocking people for no reason. <laughs> Let's just see what happens. What what <laughs> stick an electrode right there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other cool things on lightning. Uh, so we talked mostly about uh, cloud to ground lightning. And the reason is that that's the one that's the most researched, the most observed and sort of the most understood where you could actually get data. You can get more like physical, um, visual representations of it. And you can actually measure like the heat and all that type of stuff if you uh, you actually get the lightning to hit certain instruments that you have. Um, the other, but it's also like one of the lesser common type of lightning. I think it only happens like 20, 25% of the time, something like that. Um, the more frequent lightning is the inner cloud lightning and the cloud to cloud lightning. And this is like what we see a lot of the time when we're not seeing, you know, the strikes at the ground. Uh, what I always knew as referred to as like sheet lightning when you're in Texas and you just see these big flat thunderstorms and you just see what looks like uh, a bunch of planes above the clouds like firing off a bunch of weapons at each other and so you see all these flashes from the bottom of the cloud type of thing or the or sometimes you get the um uh the crawling lightning that like looks like the lightning bolt that just crawls along the bottom surface of the clouds but never goes down um 
And, you know, I'd have to think like, that's probably most of the lightning that I've seen in my life. Like, of course, we've, I've seen lots of ground strike type of lightning too, but like, when when you think of all of it, probably the majority has been like that sheet lightning type of lightning. And it's just harder to study because you don't have a point of, uh, you don't know where the point of origination is and you don't know where the point of destination is for the lightning. So for you to be able to like research that inside of a cloud is very difficult. Yeah, you said that you were looking up to see if it could power a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so everyone knows the documentary Back to the Future. And uh, so so what happens when you go back to 1955 and you can't just buy plutonium at any corner drugstore, uh, you got to figure out how to come up with 1.21 gigawatts of electricity to power your time machine so you can get back to 1985. Now, lucky for them, they knew that a bolt of lightning was going to strike the clock tower because they're from the future and they knew that it was going to happen. So you know where the bolt of lightning is going to strike, which they talked about this in the movie. That's what, what, what great providence that we know where a bolt of lightning is going to strike. My question was, is that, can it actually produce that much energy? And could that energy be conducted along a wire and sent to a device to power that device? Well, the first part is pretty, pretty standard yes it can produce 1.21 gigawatts of electricity that's kind of average for lightning um not just that there is uh a lot of super lightning that produces about a hundred times that amount of energy and these bolts are like crazy they're the ones that i'm sure people have seen pictures of like that look like uh the thickness of the bolt is like you know the the circumference of of like a building or something on the horizon. It's not actually that big, but just the brightness is so bright that that's what it looks like. But these things are massive. Um, but anyway, so you can definitely get 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. That is a scientifically accurate fact from the movie back to the future. Um, and like we talked about, lightning will conduct along any conductor that you have, like it'll travel along power lines, it'll travel along metal pipes, it'll travel along all those types of things. Um, now, different than um, sort of like what we've talked about with other conductivity, it doesn't conduct like through a tube like water. This like envelops the whole thing that it's going on and goes all on the outside, sort of like we talked about back in the electromagnetism episodes. Um. So there's like a whole field of lightning that's like all around the line as it's going down. Um, so the the tough part, and you know, so this naturally led me, well, what if I didn't want to power a time machine? What if I just wanted to harness lightning and then like send that energy to a bunch of homes so they could power their air conditioners or whatever? Like, could we figure out how to use lightning as a renewable energy source? Like we use solar power or wind. And people have thought about this, obviously, like we know, like Tesla thought about this for a long time, going back to his days when he was doing all of his experiments in Colorado, like that was one of his big things was trying to figure out a way to harness light, the power of lightning. Um, technically, it is feasible to grab the lightning. Now, unlike Back to the Future, um, we don't know when a bolt of lightning is going to hit and we don't know where it's going to hit. So you'd have to first develop some sort of proton emitting ray or 
antenna device that's not a it's not a lightning rod but it's something that uh gives a positive polarity charge very strong stronger than any of the positive polarity charges that would be happening naturally in the surface of the earth so that the lightning would actually be attracted to that device and not somewhere else on the ground so you'd have to real you'd have to come up with something that could generate that much electricity to cause that much of a positive charge to attract the lightning first. So this is separate from your energy storage device. You're having to get energy from somewhere else just to make this thing work. Then you could attract the bolt of lightning. Then you'd have to, the bolt of lightning is so powerful that you wouldn't want to just send that energy anywhere because it would blow up all of the power stations and everything. You'd have to figure out a way, one, First, to harness it in some sort of like rotating plasma, very similar to uh, to fusion, because basically you're take lightning in a way is is kind of a is kind of like fusion. If you're able to harness that energy and you were able to put it in like a magnetic ring, so that you would you're circling this high energy, and then you could then you could just siphon off little bitty bits of it into the power station so you wouldn't overload and surge every, all the all the power lines then you could do it but basically you would have to come up with this device that would store the lightning temporarily before you could put it into smaller more digestible units and then you're basically talking about creating a tokamak or something like that which we already talked about with fusion so I don't know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily like uh, you can just uh, plug a lightning rod into a battery and the lightning just charges the battery. <laughs> yeah, I saw some video uh, that just mentioned some device like that. And I don't know how credible this video was because they also had some other stuff that wasn't great. But uh, according to them, it was like $90 trillion to create this <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> not extremely feasible but once you get the lightning then you can power the thing to send the right, proton right, right, right. beam so it's kind of it's an upfront cost really yeah a balloon payment if you will <laughs> um did you read about the, how lightning creates antimatter uh no i did not so in the exploding event because the heat is so powerful in that ion channel where you got all the plasma and things, when it rips apart the base level um, particles all throughout that ion channel, it rips it apart all the way down to its very base materials. So you actually rip it down and create positrons. Now, like we talked about before, positrons, if they come into contact with an electron, they annihilate each other out of existence. Just like anti, it's an antimatter meeting matter. A positron is the antimatter form of the electron. And when they hit each other, they annihilate each other out of existence, like out of the universe, out of this, out of this branch of the universe, out of this quantum reality, they're gone. And that actually happens in the event of a lightning bolt. You create positrons that annihilate electrons in that flash. <laughs> so are we going to have enough electricity to destroy the universe? I don't know. I'm, well, we're, we're at least at least there's enough lightning going around all over the universe that we're zapping plenty of matter out of existence. <laughs> <laughs> 
Man, this is this is just another mark against climate change, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't even get to the bad climate part with lightning. Like, um, well, you know, because California, but wildfires, uh, lightning, uh, not great for incredibly dry climates and causes a lot of wildfires. But part of the reason is because of climate change. And one of the reasons this is happening and because, you know, you're usually like, oh, well, lightning's associated with a lot of moisture and water vapor and ice in the air and all this stuff. So if it's these thunderstorms, why is there no like water associated with the thunderstorms and keeping everything wet? Well, when you have such arid conditions in these in this as a cause of climate change, like in places like California, you create these heavy thunderstorms, especially when moisture's coming in from the Gulf of Mexico moving moving westward, and then you have the stuff coming off of the coast moving eastward, and they collide with each other. The problem is the hair the air is so hot and dry beneath the formations of those systems that even though they do produce precipitation as a part of the updraft that's starting this whole um, electrical polarity cycle, the all the precipitation evaporates even before it reaches the bottom of the cloud. So you never even get any of the rainfall to touch the ground, but you create incredibly powerful electrical storms, and then those have lots of ground contact lightning, and then they hit these areas that haven't seen rain for a year or two years and they set the whole thing on fire <laughs> because it's hitting it at 60,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And it doesn't take that much when you're hitting a bunch of dry kindling to set it on fire when you've got that much heat. Um, and really there's not a way to like, even if you talked about incredible like forest mitigation and all of this type of stuff, there's no way to be like, okay, well we're going to just, soak the forest to overcome this climate problem so that when lightning strikes, it's not going to cause wildfires. It's just going to keep getting worse. And kind of it's at the point now where from a science standpoint, um, the fires are so dramatic that are caused by these events that you kind of just have to let them burn. You can't do anything. You can't really stop them. You can't do really that much stuff to prevent them. And you kind of just have to let them run their course and maybe move to different areas of the country. <laughs> you heard it here first. Firefighters do not prevent fire. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty true. <laughs> Especially uh, when it's so out of control. The The rain part reminds me. So did you look into nitrogen fixation at all? Uh, I didn't look into the fixation. I did look into the the positive uh, strikes that go up into the atmosphere, like the big uh, sprites and the big blue jets that shoot oh, right, like 40 yeah. miles up into space. And people thought they were all just like fairy tales until the eighties when we had space shuttle missions go up there and we actually saw, wow, there's actually lightning bolts that are shooting 40 miles up into space. Um, and the reason that they're called like blue jets is because the concentration of nitrogen and those upper levels of the atmosphere is so high that when the flash event happens, you're seeing the blue from the nitrogen being heated up. Huh. Yeah, those, uh, I didn't look into those things at all, but those do look very weird. Um, it is weird knowing that there's like 
40 lightning strikes a second that the astronauts in the space stations just see it constantly. Yeah. Like firecrackers <laughs> nonstop going across the globe. That's got to be a weird thing. Um, but the nitrogen fixation part, uh, this is this is the only angle that I ever learned about lightning before yesterday uh, because it ties into biology. And... Nitrogen itself in the atmosphere is in two. It's it's two nitrogen atoms touching each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, you know, the sound and everything is literally atoms being split apart. And lightning uh, plays a major role in nitrogen becoming usable <laughs> mm-hmm. because it literally splits that atom apart, that molecule. So then you have two individual nitrogen atoms that obviously want to bind with something because they're charges. Uh, so they bind with oxygen. So then it makes uh, nitrous nitrogen oxide or it makes nitrogen dioxide. And both of these forms can actually dissolve in water. Uh, so by dissolving in water, i.e. rain, it then pulls it down towards the earth, puts it in the soil, and you have bacteria in the soil that turn uh, that NO or NO2 into uh, either nitrate or ammonia or ammonium nitrate. Mm. So it's like fertilizer. Yeah, it, they it make literally... Fertil- lightning makes, gives bacteria stuff to make fertilizer for plants. Yeah, it's... <laughs> the Without lightning, I mean, obviously the bacteria are doing it and then... The amount of nitrogen that plants give off is also sort of recycled in the soil, but uh, having nitrogen allows essentially, yeah, fertilizer to be created in the soil, which is like fascinating that there's this thing that is, you know, maybe lightning is not, it's not the only way that this nitrogen becomes available, but it is pulling nitrogen out of the atmosphere and putting it into the ground and nitrogen is essential for I mean, for like uh, DNA, RNA, proteins, that's all nitrogen. Oh, yeah. Um, if, you want your, if you want your lawn to look super green in the middle of the summer, just pump some nitrogen into that bitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, just pour your, your nitrogen nitro brew on top of it. <laughs> um, but the, the other thing that this led me down, which I had forgotten about, um, I... I you know, forget a lot of things. Everyone knows me. Um, but that reminded me of the Miller-Urey experiment. I'm not and familiar this, with this. This is an amazing one. You'll love it. Uh, this experiment was conducted in like 1952. And they essentially created a closed system where they had uh, like a flask of water that was being heated And so then it would turn it into water vapor. It would go up through this tube. They would mix in some other gas like methane and nitrate, and uh, which nitrate is just NH3. um, And then methane is uh, carbon with four hydrogens. So just a lot of building blocks kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That flow of vapor mixed with the gas would then go into another chamber where they would shoot uh, electricity back and forth between electrodes um, to simulate lightning. And through that, 
uh, you would also have created, uh, of course, you would have the uh, H2O, you would have the methane, the nitrate, and then H2, and they would cool it back down and collect the, the liquid at the bottom. Well, why is this important at all? Back in 1952, this was what they estimated the early Earth atmosphere was made of. Mm-hmm. And after, I think it was a week, they collected some of this sample and they found they, they had painstakingly kept any microbes out of it. So this is a totally abiotic system. They found, um, I believe they originally found seven amino acids that had formed just through these very simple chemicals and then shooting electricity through it. So through electrolysis? Is that actually electrolysis that they're using the lightning for, or is that not what they're using it for? They're just using the electri- yeah, yeah, electricity to combine the compounds. Yeah, it's to it's to split everything apart, and then it... Recombines you know, on its own. Right. And so they found um, seven amino acids in this liquid in, like, the 50s. Well... Uh, more recent studies have come out, and they obviously think that the early atmosphere was made up of um, a few different things, uh, that there was like maybe carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide because of volcanoes yeah, and of hydrogen sulfide. Uh, whenever they do those experiments, they get like over 25 amino acids abiotically. But after the scientist's death in 2007, some other scientists examined the sealed vials of the original one, and they found that there were 25 amino acids in that. Oh, he just so hadn't, whether hadn't not, counted them all, or they just they developed didn't have, over yeah. time? Well, no, they, hadn't, uh, they didn't have strong enough detectors okay. back then. Um, but essentially, <laughs> this means if you combine it with like Darwin's warm pond kind of mm-hmm. theory... Um, you literally just have through lightning and the original atmosphere on Earth the ability to create the building blocks of life. And amino acids are what proteins are made of. I went on this diatribe um, however many weeks ago, mm-hmm. maybe it was last week. And with that like combination, you I mean nucleic acids are a little bit different that's a little bit more complex and proteins don't just spontaneously form but you have the essential ability when they were thinking like how in the world did these complex molecules even come into existence all it required was heat a little bit of the atoms that already existed here and then lightning and you're able to come up with the stuff and abiogenesis is like you know they obviously haven't proven it but it's pretty interesting because all you need then is like a, a fat bubble pretty much mm-hmm. to form. Um, and those things form on the inside of a fat bubble. And the fat bubble is essentially what a cell Becomes membrane is. Becomes the cell is. membrane. Yeah, like we talked about in the in the evolution episode with the pond theory. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool that it's like, I mean, this was an experiment back in the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> that they were able to come up with all this stuff to create uh, life's like functions, I suppose. Um, so lightning is kind of like, you know, a, a huge deal. And there was a, a meteorite that fell in Australia in the sixties. Um, and they found on it some different amino acid types. So amino acids are 
things that could have come from some comets, but also could have totally been created on Earth out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have, the only thing... Yeah, go ahead. The only thing that I, I would imagine, like the uh, religiously skeptical about it, because I went to Baylor, uh, <laughs> considered like, well, obviously God could have just caused the lightning to put these things together and it's like why would he not just create life and if he's god why would you limit no, no, he him just lit, only... he just he just did the, the he lit the first match right <laughs> uh but yeah that was so that's like a, i don't know that's one of my favorite experiments that i had forgotten yeah that's awesome um and if you know we know that lightning exists not just in our solar system, not just on our planet, but also on other planets outside of the solar system. And we know that uh, a lot of the rocky bodies that Earth got bombarded with early on its formation were actually from other protoplanets and things that formed inside of our early solar system that then collided with each other and fell apart and were the remnants of other things that actually had volcanic activity on them and stuff like that. And so if you're talking about like these little proto planets that are very uh, volcanic and have tons of spewing uh, lava vents and uh, gas geysers and all this stuff on them, all of that stuff is still creating the same upward drafts and uh, polarity electrical potential Um, So you're going to have tons of lightning strikes on all of those bodies. And like early Earth, when Earth is a uh, primordial soup covered in volcanoes and lava and tons of smoke and uh, it's a really hot, hellish place, that's a lot of lightning all over. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's not like uh, you had to wait for the planet to cool and... uh, to have life on it before you could get these sort of like weather patterns that would create lightning. Like lightning does not require like a Goldilocks zone from the sun or like it has to be liquid water rain or something like that. No, you get lightning and on Saturn and on Jupiter and in Venus and (laughs) where, (laughs) where like sometimes the, on some of those environments, like it's so hot that it's liquid methane that's raining, not, (laughs) not water. Um, it doesn't have to be made from H2O particles. It can be made from lots of different particles, uh, inside the atmosphere. So, all lightning exists on all those planets and on moons that are going around Jupiter and on moons that are going around Saturn. So it's, it's all over the place. Yeah. It just, uh, I like to imagine it that it then shows that there's nothing special about earth (laughs) other than like being warm and spinning at the speed we do. Well, and it goes back to the whole thing of, uh, everything, (laughs) pretty much everything is a variation of electromagnetism. (laughs) Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I, which is kind of cool because then you can imagine from the beginning of time, uh, or I, I mean, literally, um, that the those natural just four main forces, if everything is still operating off of those main forces, then that proves that that's all you need <laughs> to operate. Right. So it is kind of cool. It connects everything. Well, I'm glad we solved it. <laughs> yeah. First, did you want to hear about Ben Franklin? First ones that solve lightning. Oh yeah, we got to find out. Did he fly a kite? Did he put a key on it? Uh, Was there did. a mouse? So <laughs> a, a mouse? Did, 
did you ever watch that uh, Disney special from the eighties, Ben and Me? It's no, it's a never it's about it. Ben Franklin, but it's told from the perspective of a mouse who lived at Ben Franklin's invention shop, and he was and like, "Is this one the anti-Semitic or no, no, no? Oh, okay. yeah, it's the yeah, it's, I, I see the the mouse thing is not anti-Semitic. <laughs> well, well, I'm just For asking, knowing Disney. <laughs> It's the opposite of anti-Semitic, but everyone thinks it's anti-Semitic because it has a swastika on the cover. (laughs) No, but the the mouse in Ben and Me is Ben Franklin's little buddy, and he, like, lives in Ben Franklin's coat pocket, and he goes everywhere with him. And we find out, like, the mouse actually helped him invent the bifocals, and the mouse was, Mm -hmm. like, in a little... uh, in, in a little box on the top of the kite when it got hit by lightning. And so the mouse actually kind of helped figure out the lightning conductivity and all this. The mouse helps him invent the Franklin stove. And the mouse also is the one who puts all the, the, the typeface blocks inside of his printing press, the, the Franklin printing press. Yeah. Uh, put it, I, I don't know what the phrase is, but of course, uh, a white man would take the, uh, credit for a mouse's work exactly just <laughs> another founding father ripped to shreds uh so he did fly a kite um he didn't it didn't get hit by lightning because he would have died immediately um, <laughs> he was using like copper string <laughs> he wrapped it all around his body <laughs> well so he he didn't though so he had it was a, a silk uh handkerchief and he used hemp string to tie to the handkerchief like a good founding father yes and then to the hemp string he tied silk string and he was holding on to the silk Mm -hmm. the reason being he thought the hemp will get wet and then conduct electricity faster um because he so essentially he was trying to prove that lightning was electricity right um at the time they were like lightning keeps hitting all these buildings uh, their best bet was to, uh, because churches were the tallest things uh, in town, ring the bells really loud to scare away the storm so <laughs> it didn't catch on fire from lightning. Uh, that didn't seem to really do too much. Did they try so, praying? I'm sure they did, <laughs> but yet again, not very effective. Uh, and then the silk string would not get wet, so he was like, well, then I won't get shocked, and he would have. Um, but to the hemp, uh, string, he tied a key, uh, and he went out, um, during a storm, he took his son with him. uh, So he tried to also have some, you know, negligent homicide, Mm -hmm. uh, along with the suicide. And he flew the kite up. Actually, his kid like threw it up. He's like, I'm going to stay here in the barn. I don't want to get wet. Um, so the kid threw the kite up and it starts flying in the air. Uh, so Trying to prove that it's electricity, um, obviously very complicated thing to do, especially if you die in the process. Yeah. Um, but he luckily wasn't struck by lightning and he was about to give up, um, because he was like, well, it's not getting struck. What am I supposed to do? He noticed that the like kind of loose fibers along the hemp were sticking up in all sorts of directions mm-hmm. instead of just kind of laying the way that they were. And he was like, oh, this this looks, you know, they had done enough experiments with electricity that they knew electricity kind of causes stuff to fray. And 
he like reached his knuckle out and got a shock from the key. Ah. So he noticed, okay, well, there is electricity coming through this. So then he held up a Leyden jar. Do you know what a Leyden jar is? I do not know what a Leyden jar is. Okay, neither did I. So that sent me down another rabbit hole. Um, a Leyden jar was a device that they it still exists. Um, I'm surprised they never use them in science class because it's fascinating. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, why teach kids anything? Uh, it's a jar that it's got like the inside of it uh, is metal. It's it's all metal and it's got kind of a stick poking up out of it. Then it has glass that it snugly fits inside of like a another glass jar. Mm-hmm. Then on the outside of the glass jar is another kind of metal cup that also fits snugly. Um, Benjamin Franklin invented a dissectable Leyden jar. Um, so I don't know if that's the one he used here, but that's kind of the formation that it is now. And what you can do is the stick that's poking up, uh, you can charge. So he held that stick poking up to to the key and that like charged it. That charges the inside. Now, the thing with the Leyden jar is the charge is built up on that inside part, but then the charge is held in the glass. It is held in the dielectric. So this is like an early version of a capacitor. Okay. Um, the dissectable one is important because as you could uh, safely like separate it out, you could then touch the two metal parts together and nothing, it doesn't shock at all. It doesn't discharge. So it proves that the dielectric, the glass is holding the charge. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the point of using this during his kite experiment is because it holds the charge that you can then later discharge. And that's important to prove when you have no other witnesses around to see that the key shocks your knuckle. He could charge up this Leyden jar so that it held the charge and he then was able to like take it in front of other scientists. And if you touch like a little kind of wishbone looking thing to the outside and then that stick uh, protruding out, you see like the flash and the shock. Ah. So he was able to, they knew that you could charge Leyden jars. They knew that it held an electrical charge. Um, the way that they had done it previously, which is also weird, is you would have like this, you would have a lead piece. This is like 1700 science, which is like nuts. You just have like a, or maybe not lead, but you would have like some conducting metal hanging Um, then off of that, you would have a chain that was touching a glass globe that you would then spin (laughs) and the glass would cause like the friction to put a charge into the chain, which would go across the thing. And then you can hold another Leyden jar up there and charge it. Interesting. Um, which to lead you down even further rabbit holes that I went, knowing that glass charges, it is not something that was new at all. In fact, uh, in ancient Greece, um, Thales, the philosopher, around 600 BC, uh, rubbed a piece of amber with dry cloth and then noticed that the cloth would then be able to attract feathers or straw. Mm -hmm. And uh, William uh, Gilbert, who was the court healer to Queen Elizabeth in the late 1500s, 
also did this experiment, you know, a little trickery. Um, and he named that force electrica, which is after electra, which is just the Greek word for amber. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought he was just really into Sophocles. He just really loved Electra. That was a great, it's a great play. Uh, but isn't that weird that electricity is named after just amber? Yeah. That just because this is like this ancient experiment that existed. Um, um, it's that's all. It's all of its nuts. But it it also gives the the anecdote of if you're ever outside during a uh, uh, a thunderstorm and you notice uh, the the hair starting to stand up on your arms a little bit or or like. You're like, wow! Look at that! Check out my arm hair standing up. What's the deal? What's the deal there? Uh, that's uh, just you should be aware that uh, you are loading up a bunch of positively charged <laughs> <laughs> things from the ground as, and you are realizing what's happening as the negative charge that's usually neutralizing at your feet is sinking down into the earth and all of the positively charged things are starting to rise through your body and reach up for the sky to, to, uh, to beg for a bolt of lightning to come down and grab them. <laughs> so if you start to notice the hair stand on your arms in an electrical storm, go inside. Or it get, actually, the safer place, it, one of the safest places, get inside of a car. Like it's its own Faraday cage. Like you, it's gonna get struck by lightning, and you won't, you won't. All the energy will be dissipated around the surface of the car, and you won't get injured at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, the car thing is is nuts. I didn't have time, but I wanted to look up. Um, I think MythBusters like did some experiments with it to like measure the amount of safety a car was but i don't want to be in a car when it's struck by lightning <laughs> that looks terrifying uh a few other fun facts i didn't know this i should have um but <laughs> two of santa claus's reindeer are also named after thunder and lightning blitzen blitzen is lightning and donner is thunder uh. i'm assuming german yeah, I um, mean, I, I thought I thought Blitzen because the Blitz from uh, from the Nazis was yeah. uh, the was a was a lightning sort of thunder and lightning tactic. Yeah, the Blitzkrieg. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, popular play in football as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought it was interesting too that um, so Ben Franklin invented the lightning rod. But during the Napoleonic Wars, um, 220 British tall ships were damaged by lightning um, because the queen refused to allow them to have a lightning rod on top of it uh, because it was invented by Benjamin Franklin, the (laughs) colonist, the rebel colonist. And he just likes to go over to France and hang out with all the French. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know if the French had lightning rods on their ships, um, but yeah, it took until the 1830s for the British Navy to put <laughs> like lightning rods on their ships. Jeez. Yeah, I didn't look. I was I remember on my on my list I was going to look up lightning hitting planes, but maybe that's one you can ask Miho about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can ask her. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's not great for it. 
Yeah, I, but it, it, they have to be designed, I would think, to like handle it because I would think it's got to happen. You know, they don't just land planes because of storms and they're flying through like a bunch of differentially uh, polarity charged cloud formations all the time. So I would think in the inner cloud lightning or the cloud to cloud lightning would be hitting them all the time. And they've got to just because they're, uh, you know, a metal tube. Like, uh, all the people on the inside are safe because they're not, it's not grounded or whatever. Like, so it works kind of like a Faraday cage, I would think. Yeah. I, but I would imagine some of their electrical instruments are like, you know, connected to the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Any of like the, the, the radar and the altimeter and all those different things that stick off the nose and all that type of stuff. Yeah. I wonder if that would fry the electrical system or if they have a way of like, uh, they have a bunch of uh, diversionary wires that connect those systems that can send those to some sort of surge protection device before it fries the board of the plane. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the last, the last fun note that I had was on those, um, those super bolts of lightning that I was talking about and the Back to the Future bit that are a hundred times more powerful than one point twenty one gigawatts. One of these actually hit near um, South Africa in 1979, and it had the explosive power of a nuclear bomb. Um, the It leveled trees all over the area, knocked down large antennas and power line structures, um, destroyed almost the entire electrical infrastructure in the region that it hit. Um, let's see... At the 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 peak of the energy only lasted two microseconds, but that's a substantial amount of time for that lightning, um, which is a hundred times more powerful than the standard bolt of lightning. So it, it, these things can happen, and if it happens over uh, over populated areas, it can be damaging not just to like infrastructure, electrical power lines and stuff like that, but actual physical structures. You can have like the same type of pressure wave that is released from an atomic blast or an airburst of a meteorite, um, and it will level trees and buildings and things like that too. Yeah, the just a standard lightning strike. If you're 30 feet away from it, the force is still like a five kilogram TNT bomb. So like it's it is enough to. I mean, I I was trying to look up how explosive that is because, believe it or not, I don't just keep um, explosion data in my head. Your scale of explosions, you just always have that. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I need to actually look up how big the IRA ones were so that way I can, you know, that's more fresh in the, in the brain. Um, but a two kilogram TNT explosion is enough to like destroy like a two meter cube of concrete like totally just mm-hmm. flatten or pulverize the thing. So that's still pretty nuts that you could just be blown away <laughs> yeah. from a lightning strike. Um, well, I, my, my big hope is that by doing all of this research and knowledge that we have um, staved off any anger from the lightning gods and they're not going to strike our houses like they did to Dan McDowell. That was just God, God though. Oh yeah, it was just it was just and God being pissed. Her infinite wisdom, hating them atheists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I was thinking we uh what if we could get him to give a comment, but then I was like, I don't think he wants to listen to the science of this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he likes science stuff. I talk to Dan about science stuff a lot. He enjoys it. Or I or maybe he's just polite to me as I beat him down. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. That's all I got this week. Until next week, we'll talk to you later. Bye.